First Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverence, fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Good morning. I'm just going to read out verse 7 as well. Uh, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives uh, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Uh, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I uh, hope you're going well this morning. Uh, thanks to David for that Bible reading. Uh, thanks to you for being here. Uh, can I say, if you're new or visiting, uh, thank you Thank you for being here. Welcome. I hope you enjoy your uh, time with us today. Can I say that uh, the passage we're doing today is it's a hard passage. Uh, it's a hard passage. You might have noticed that. We don't, don't always do hard passages, but as we go through books of the Bible, uh, we're going through the book of 1 Peter, as you know, uh, we come to hard passages. Uh, we've got a tricky one today, don't we? I don't know if you uh, noticed some of these things in today's passage. Uh, we have submitting to the government, uh, women, whether they should wear different hairstyles and jewellery, uh, slavery, slave masters. Uh, this is tricky stuff, isn't it? Uh, we're going we're gonna to touch on all those things. Uh, but these are hard passages. I really want to actually acknowledge as we start uh, that these are the sort of passages, actually, that if you... Uh, you read them and you look at them at first glance, they can actually be the sort of passages that can just turn us right off the Bible. Uh, They can turn us right off the Bible. Uh, So I want us to work hard today. Uh, I want to ask you to come along with me as we look carefully at what these passages are saying. Uh, Because actually, I think think if we understand clearly what Peter is saying, uh, we'll find this morning that actually this is a really good passage. It's not as controversial as it seems at first glance. I actually think it's a really encouraging passage, a really encouraging passage about freedom, about Christian freedom. Uh, so I want to encourage you to come along with me today. Uh, if you have any questions, you're welcome to text those through. Uh, it'd be great to have your Bibles open. It'd be great to have the outline open in your leaflets. Uh, you'll see on there that we are going to get to these topics around submission. But uh, what I want us to do for a, a bit first of all, uh, I want just to think about uh, what's going on in the passage? What the passage is actually trying to do? If you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that uh, we've been saying that Peter is writing to Christians who are being persecuted. And Peter wants his readers to be optimistic. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants to show them how to have hope through their trials. But they're going through some hard things. Uh, and in particular, they're going through verbal persecution, right? They're being threatened, they're being maligned. Today we even see uh, that there are some physical elements to the persecution. The slaves are being beaten. So we're really dealing with a 
tough situation where people are being treated unfairly. And I want to ask, ask you as we get going, I want to ask, how do you respond when you feel like you've been treated unfairly? How do you respond? Uh, human physiology tells us that people tend to have one of two natural responses uh, to being treated harshly, to danger, the fight and flight response. Uh, you can either fight back or you can take flight and run away and, uh, and be afraid uh, of that person. How do you respond when you're treated unfairly? What's your natural inclination? I don't know if you know my natural inclination. Those of, those of you who know me well will probably be able to guess. I'm a, I'm a fighter. I like to fight. I like to stand up for myself, probably a little bit too much. Uh, if you don't believe me, you're welcome to come and uh, watch an Adelaide United game with me this season. Uh, if I'm in a soccer game and I feel like the referee has treated my team unfairly, I'm, uh, I'm not afraid to, how do I say it, off the re- offer the referee some critique, some feedback, you know, I, I try and keep it fairly G-rated. You know, when the referee comes close, I might just say something like, oh, come on, buddy, stop ruining the game, or uh, maybe ask him if he regrets being born, something friendly like that. Uh, my natural response to mistreatment, it's to, it's to fight. It's to fight back. Uh, what's your natural response? What's your natural inclination? And particularly when it comes to Christian faith, what would be your natural response to being treated harshly because of your faith. I think when it comes to the Christian faith, if we think about what the fight response might look like for a Christian, if we're we're those sort of Christians, if we're Christians who attempted to fight the whole time, uh, we'll probably be those sort of Christians who are always having arguments, always having arguments. Uh, Every time a Christian is mistreated, we'll be standing up for ourselves, having an argument, fighting back. And uh, of course, sometimes it's Sometimes it's appropriate to stand up for the Christian cause. Uh, But what we can actually end up doing is we can end up pushing people away by fighting them off. And actually, we can end up getting distracted uh, from what we're meant to be doing, because what we're meant to be doing is not pushing people away, but actually winning people for Christ. Uh, So I don't think our Christian response should always be the fight response. Uh, But what about the flight response? I think if we're mistreated for being Christian, I think the flight response will lead us in a different direction. But actually, the flight response can lead Christians to compromise on things they believe in, things that are important. You know, uh, if someone comes up to you and tells you not to talk about Christianity or uh, tells you not to share the gospel, we might say, oh, oh okay, look, look if, you, if you don't want me to share the gospel, I just won't do it. If you don't want me to be a Christian, I just won't do it anymore. We'll just give it up. We're too afraid of how you'll react. So I don't think Christians should be the, be the sort of people that are always wanting to pick a fight. I don't think Christians uh, should be fearful and give their faith away. What then is the answer? What is, what is the right response for Christians when they're treated harshly? In verse 16 of our passage today, Peter says, Christians are to live free. I think Peter gives us a third option of how Christians are to response. It's not to go to the fight response, it's not to go straight to the flight response. Uh, The third option, it's to live free, live with Christian freedom. I think think we see what Christian freedom means in uh, verse 11 of today's passage, verse 11. Uh, If you've got your Bibles open, have a look at uh, 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 1 Peter, sorry, chapter 2, verse 11 uh, with me. There Peter says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, 
And when Peter calls his readers foreigners and exiles, I think he's giving us an overarching idea, which actually goes right through our passage. He's giving us an overarching expression of what it means to be a Christian. He's saying, as far as foreigners and exiles do all these other things, it's an overarching identity statement which precedes everything else we're going to look at today. Uh, so, so why does he use these words, foreigners and exiles? What do these words have to do with Christian freedom? What do these words have to do with being free? I want to unpack these two words for us just for a minute, uh, the word foreigners and the word exiles. Uh, so if we think about that first word, foreigners, uh, you often actually find this word translated as something like sojourners, something like sojourners. And, and the reason that our Bibles uh, choose to translate it as foreigners is because no one really knows what the word sojourners means anymore. But uh, the word really means uh, that Christians are people who are living in a place temporarily, temporarily. So sojourners, they don't, uh, they're not people who settle down in one spot and live there for their whole lives. They're people who keep moving around. I, I have a few friends who uh, do a lot of traveling. I have some friends who work as ski instructors and uh, when it's the European or Northern Hemisphere winter, they might work somewhere like Canada uh, doing ski instructing and then when that season ends, they might decide to maybe move back to Australia for a few months or maybe New Zealand to do some ski instructing uh, in our winter. Then when our winter finishes, they might be back to Europe or someone else. Uh, they're not tied to one place. They're sojourners. Peter is saying here that Christians are people who are living in a place temporarily. And actually, it's our very lives here on earth that are temporary. For Christians, our true home is not on this earth. It's not here. It's in the next life. It's in the new heavens and the new earth. As I've been saying over the past couple of weeks, Christians have an imperishable inheritance that is kept in heaven safely for us. So Christians are not living uh, for the perishable things of this world. We're living for the imperishables, the things in the next life. Uh, so for Christians, our life on earth is temporary, we're, we're foreigners, sojourners, uh, but that doesn't mean we should detach from life either, it doesn't mean we should detach from this world. Uh, Peter calls Christians foreigners and then he also calls them exiles. And of course, when he uses a word like exile, it's referring back to the exile that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, probably the exile when the Israelites went into exile into the country, into the country of Babylon, to the Babylonian exile. And I, I don't know if you know, there's a, there's a really kind of interesting passage in a book called Jeremiah, Jer- Jeremiah 29, which is a letter uh, to the exiles as they're going into ba- Babylon. And I think it's, it's actually really helpful for us as we think about what it means to be an exile. Uh, so I'm going to put it up on the screen. Feel free to keep your uh, Bibles in 1 Peter. Uh, here we go. So uh, this is a letter written to the exiles as they went off to Babylon. It was telling them how to act. And it says, uh, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those who are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is what God's going to say to the exiles. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what you produce, what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. These words aren't written directly to us. They're written to Israelites 2,500 years ago as they were going into exile. Uh, but because, because Peter calls us exiles, I think we can actually take some of these principles and also apply it to us as well. 
Uh, because Christians are foreigners, we're sojourners here on the earth, but we're not just here on holiday, we're, we're here for a while. The Israelites went into Babylon for about 70 years, uh, that's about the same time we might have on this earth. And so it's good for us to build houses, it's good for us to settle down, it's good for us to plant gardens and watch things grow. It's good for Christians to marry and invest in family. It's good for Christians to seek the good of the city. It's good for Christians to have jobs and invest in the lives that we have here on earth. So we settle down, we invest, we're part of this world. But we need to remember that we're not citizens of this world. Our ultimate home is not here, it's in the next life. We're sojourners. And this is an interesting tension. So how does this tension, I think, how does it relate to Christian freedom? What does it have to do with uh, being free? How does this give us a third way to react other than the fight and flight response? Well, when we take, when we take flight or when we fight, we do these things because we feel threatened. But if we know that we're foreigners and exiles and we know that our inheritance is in heaven and it's safe for us, we don't need to feel as threatened. We don't need to fight back all the time. We don't need to be afraid. Now, of course, yes, we try and seek good and we settle down, we invest. We don't need to fear. We don't need to fight. We're free. Now, if we're reacting this third way when we're treated harshly as Christians, other than the fight and flight response, can you see it? It makes it a lot easier, actually, to respond to harsh treatment. I've, I've done a bit of work over the years uh, doing ministry on university campuses. Uh, and as you know, our university campuses, uh, they tend to not be such easy places to be Christians. And if you're doing uni ministry, and I've, I've done this a number of times, you might uh, do something like stand at a stall for a day and uh, encourage people uh, to think about the Bible while they're at uni, something like that. And I've done this a number of times, Adelaide Uni, UniSA. And often when you do something like that, you get people coming up to you and they might... Uh, kind of be a bit negative towards you. They might say something like, you shouldn't be doing this. You, you shouldn't be promoting fairy, sta- fairy stories at, at uni. This is a secular institution. You shouldn't be allowed to sit here and promote religion. If I'm living this third way, I don't have to, I don't have to fight those people, but neither do I have to be afraid of those people. I can just sit there and say something like, well, fair enough. Good for you. Uh, do you want to talk about that more over coffee, maybe? Or I might just say, sure, that, that's your opinion. You're welcome to have it. Go off and play some hacky sack. Um, can you see how this third way of Christian freedom, it, it just gives us freedom uh, not to have to fight over the time, uh, not to have to fight all the time, but neither do we have to feel fear. We can just confidently engage when we're in difficult situations. And we can do that gently and with freedom. I think that's the idea that's going on in our passage here. It's one of the things uh, Peter's trying to do when he calls his readers sojourners and foreigners. Uh, And when we come to this topic of submission, and we're going to look at submission in three ways. As our passage talks about, we're going to look at submission to authorities, we're going to look at submission uh, in a situation with slaves and the slave masters, and we're going to look at the situation with submission in marriage. Uh, When we come to submission, this third way of reacting, this way of Christian freedom, it allows us to submit. Let me explain what I mean. Let's, uh, let's have a look at what it says about submission. Let's look at submission to authorities first. Have a look at verse 13 with me. 
Here Peter says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, when a government is, you know, punishing those that do wrong and commending those that do right, that kind of sounds not too bad. We'd want to submit to that. Uh, but we know often governments are not like that. They're, they're difficult, they're corrupt. Certainly the government that Peter's recipients were living under was not an easy place, uh, not an easy government to follow. Now, if someone's not a Christian and their government's making their life really difficult, well, that's, that's that person's one life here on earth being ruined and that's that would be hard to take you can imagine why someone would want to fight back or want to run away and get out of that situation that's horrible Uh, but for christians we we have something different if our government is treating us badly that's not a good thing but we still have an imperishable inheritance we still have something to look forward to so it's easier to submit now of course It's good to engage in politics. Having Christian politicians is a good thing. Giving uh, your feedback to your local member of parliament is a good thing. Having your say. Uh, Of course, it's it's a little different for us uh, here in 2018 than it was for Peter's recipients. We're in a democracy, and a democracy is built on the people having their opinions. But we don't have to fight. We don't have to fight against our leaders the whole time either. Uh, And neither do we have to be afraid. We're foreigners here for a time. And it's not like we are trying to build a perfect Australian country that's going to be the perfect Christian country forever. It's just, it's just not the case. Because of Christian freedom, we know we're looking forward to inheritance one day. Uh, we can actually choose uh, to submit to our leaders. Now, of course, you might ask, and this is kind of the obvious question to ask, is there ever a situation where it's, it's not okay to submit to your leaders or where it's okay not to submit to your leaders? Are there any exceptions? I think it's pretty clear that there are times when it's okay for Christians to go against the government. Of course there are exceptions. One of the classic examples of an exception, a situation where people think it might be okay for Christians to go against the government, uh, comes from World War II and it comes from Nazi Germany. Uh, You'll know the stories uh, where Hitler uh, was hunting down Jews and many Christians took, took Jewish people into their homes and hid them. And the question is, was it okay for the Christians to go against their government? Of course it was okay. Of course it's okay to go against uh, such a terrible evil. And this is an example where uh, because the Christians had freedom, because they were brave, rather than being fearful of what their leaders might do to them, they knew their inheritance was safe. The people chose to serve God rather than submit to their leaders. Uh, Because ultimately... As much as it's a good thing to submit to authorities, when those authorities are going against God, our priority is to serve God. Uh, We also have a biblical example of this, uh, just to hammer the uh, the point home, uh, a biblical story where something much like this happens. Uh, It comes from the book of Exodus. Uh, In the book of Exodus, God's people were slaves in Egypt, and the Egyptian rulers wanted to commit uh, genocide, basically. They wanted to kill all the male Israelite babies who were born. I'll put a couple of verses up on the screen which show us what happens. Thank you. It says, uh, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shipharah and Puha, here's what he says, uh, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. 
The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. These Hebrew midwives had a choice between fearing God or fearing the Egyptian king. They were brave. They chose the option of Christian freedom. They chose to submit to God. Uh, The passage goes on and shows that God was pleased with what the midwives had done. So if we ever get into these situations where we have to choose between doing what God says and doing what the government says, uh, this third way of of Christian freedom means we don't have to react with fear. We're we're allowed to stand up uh, for justice. But on the flip side, can you see that these are also massive exceptions, aren't they? They're massive exceptions. When it comes to normal everyday things like obeying the law, do I, do I fudge my tax return, do I drive over the speed limit, we shouldn't be fighting back against our government. Peter says uh, we should use our Christian freedom to submit to authorities, to the law. Our freedom comes from knowing that we're living for the next life, but while we're here on earth, we should submit to the laws of the land we're living in. Okay, how are you going so far? I, I hope... Uh, you're following the logic around. How do you feel about this, this idea? Submitting to leaders, it's normally a good use of Christian freedom. Here's where, here, here's where it gets even harder. Slaves and slave masters. Let's take a look at what Peter says, uh, verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit, yourself, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who were harsh. Let's think about this for a minute. At first glance, I think, we look at this and we just think this is, this is wrong. Slavery is wrong. This is not good. I want us to be very clear about some of the things that this verse is not saying. Some of the things this verse is not saying. Uh, for a start, Peter's not writing a, a letter about the ethics of slavery. He's not making political comment on whether slavery is a good thing or not. The Bible actually is very clear uh, that before God, all people are equal. And throughout history, for that reason, Christians have fought against the slave trade, and that's the right thing to do. Now, the passage, it's, it's just not a comment on whether slavery is good or whether slavery is bad. What Peter is doing, what Peter is doing is he's writing to Christians who are suffering hard times. He's writing to Christians who are being persecuted and some of those people are slaves. Uh, Peter doesn't think it's a good thing that they're slaves. Peter doesn't think it's a good thing that slavery exists. I think Peter would probably encourage those slaves to gain their freedom if that was an option. But it seems like for now the slaves are stuck in this situation that they're in. And Peter's writing to his Christian brothers and sisters. It's a pastoral letter. It's not a political letter. It's a letter to real people in a real tough situation. Peter is saying, you still have your imperishable inheritance. I know you're in a tough spot. I know you're not free people on this earth. You might have to submit now, but you do have Christian freedom. You do have Christian freedom. You do have the inheritance that's coming to you. And so Peter, he's, he's just not saying that it's a good thing that these people are mistreated. But what he does say is he says that as they're persevering and as they're keeping on going in their hard situation, that God commends them for that. So says that in verse 20, this is commendable before God. God loves you and he sees what you're going through. He doesn't like the evil that's caused this situation to come on you, but he commends you for your perseverance. God sees what you're doing. 
And then to encourage those who are going through these hard times, uh, we get this great description of Jesus as a way of Peter saying, God knows what you're going through. God's lived what you're going through. God knows this world is broken. He's lived it as the man, Jesus Christ. And when they hurled insults at him, verse 23, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. What Jesus went through was not fair. What Jesus went through was not right. But the fact that he went through it was commendable. In fact, it's, it's the reason we're saved. I want to try and bring some of these ideas of uh, slavery and slave masters and think about how we can actually apply them in the 21st century. Uh, Peter, people often take these verses and apply them to the workplace. Um, and I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but we do have to be very careful as we do that. Uh, this is in some ways a workplace, right? Slaves, slave masters. But it's also very different, isn't it, to 21st century Adelaide. Uh, we're not slaves. We're not slaves. Slavery is now illegal, and that's, that's a pretty big difference. Peter's readers, uh, they did have Christian freedom, and we have Christian freedom, but we also have plain old Australian freedom. We're in a free country. Of course, there are plenty of people around the world who aren't necessarily in the free situations that we're in. We're very lucky, aren't we? And we can still have bosses that don't treat employees very well, of course, but there is this big difference, isn't there? Because we can quit our jobs. If we don't like our jobs, we can, we can quit, we can resign, we can get another job. If you're a slave 2,000 years ago, you, you couldn't quit. It's different. So if you're in a tough work environment today with a boss who doesn't respect you, uh, I've had a, a few difficult bosses in my time. Carl is, a fan- <laughs> Carl, Carl is a fantastic boss, sorry. Carl's a fantastic boss. If you're in a hard work situation and you're, you're finding you can't submit to your boss, you're allowed to use your freedom that you have for living in this country and you're allowed to quit, you, you're allowed to leave. Now, I think Peter might say that if you, if you decide you want to stick something out and you think you can stick something out and, and you choose to do that and you choose to submit even in this difficult situation, I think Peter might say God looks at that and says that is commendable and God sees that and values that. But you do have freedom. If, if submitting to your boss is just something you can't do, well, I would encourage you, just, just get out of there. You can leave. Okay, we've... We've thought about submission and government. We've thought about submission in this situation with slaves and slave masters. Can, we, uh, can you see how, as we're looking through this lens of what it means to have freedom as a Christian, that it's helping us unpack what Peter's actually trying to say here. Uh, what about submission in marriage, uh, chapter 3? Uh, did you notice as we read, actually, that there are two sides to the picture of marriage here? So in verses uh, 1 to 6 of chapter 3, there are the instructions for wives Uh, and they're meant to submit to their husbands. Uh, Verse 7 has instructions for husbands who are meant to care for their wives who are the weaker partner. Now, 21st century alert, these things uh, are not necessarily things people like to hear in the 21st century. Uh, Wives should submit to husbands, no, no. Wives are the weaker partner, no, no. 
But I want you to see that actually I think there is great beauty in this picture. I think there is great beauty here. The wives tend to be weaker than the husbands, so the husbands should be extra considerate of his wife. He should treat her with respect, putting her needs before his own. This is not a picture that's meant to be negative towards women. It's meant to be a picture of women being treated well. Don't you think there's beauty in that picture? And when the wife sees her husband caring for her and chooses to follow his lead, I think, I think there's, there's beauty there. I just, I just think there's beauty in this picture. And Peter, he's not, he's not trying to be controversial. Uh, none of this would have been controversial in Peter's day, except maybe, maybe in those days, I think some people say that uh, husbands probably didn't normally actually respect their wives, so that's probably actually the controversial bit uh, from Peter's point of view. I do want to point out, though, that I hope it's fairly obvious that if this, this picture, it's only a beautiful picture if both sides of the picture are doing what they should do. Uh, if the husband isn't caring for his wife, it's much harder for the wife to submit and the picture isn't so beautiful anymore. Uh, if the picture is working the way it should, of course, the wife will end up being treated well. I mean, when you think about how it would actually work, I mean, if I take a, a trivial example, uh, you know, I'm married to Annika. Uh, say Annika and I uh, are deciding who's going to cook dinner tonight. Uh, maybe Annika's tired and so as following one Peter, I'll look and I'll be considerate and I'll offer to cook dinner tonight. And Annika will say, well, if she's following one Peter, she will choose to submit. She will say, fantastic, you will cook dinner. Well done. (laughs) Can you see how that's actually, you know, a pretty reasonable picture of marriage? But of course, the picture breaks down. If the picture breaks down, it gets much harder, doesn't it? If a husband is not being considerate of his wife, uh, this is a much harder situation. We know the stats on abuse in marriage in Australia are just shocking. Uh, We know that there are a lot of husbands who aren't considerate of their wives. Uh, I want us to notice, and I want us to be super clear on this again. Uh, Peter is not saying, what is he not saying? He's not saying that anyone should stay in an abusive marriage. He's He's just not saying that. He's not saying anyone should stay in an abusive marriage. It's just, it's not there. We have freedom. We have Christian freedom, and because of Christian freedom, uh, we know that we've got an inheritance in the next life, and that's encouraging. And we also live in Adelaide in 2018, and we have, we have the freedom of being in a free country. And we have law enforcement, we have police, we have services set up to protect people who are in hard situations. And if we can't submit in a picture that's just not working the way it should, we're allowed to leave. Again, of course, it's not necessarily true around the whole world. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you're feeling like you're being abused or, or if you're counselling someone else who's being abused, I think leaving is, leaving is the right thing to do. It's the right way to use our freedom. Leaving is the right thing to do. Uh, now, we're almost towards the end. I just want to do, do want to say something about this section around uh, beauty and jewellery in uh, verses 3 and 4. Uh, let's just look at those verses together. Peter says to wives, and, and really he's talking to actually just all women here, so I think that's who he's uh, addressing. He says, uh, Your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Again, what is, what is Peter not saying? Is Peter saying that it's a bad thing to wear jewellery or a bad thing to have nice clothes? No, it's, it's just not there. He's, what he says is totally neutral, actually, about jewellery, hairstyles, clothes. 
What he is talking about, though, is beauty. And he's saying that the beauty that God cares about is not outward beauty, it's inner beauty. It's inner beauty. Like a lot of Australian males, I watched my first episodes of The Bachelor this year. (laughs) The Honey Badger was on. Former rugby player wanted to see how the Honey Badger would go. Didn't end up doing so well, did he? I tell you though, it did strike me. Our society is just so obsessed with physical appearance in women, isn't it? So much of that show was about which, which woman looked the best. Women, the beauty that God cares about is that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle spirit, kindness, character. God says that is the things, they are the things that he finds beautiful. Okay, I hope you've been able to follow along. It's been a hard passage today, hasn't it? Can I say, uh, if anything we've been talking about has been hard to hear, please feel free to come and chat to me or Carl or uh, one of your friends. It's not too late to quickly text through a question either. I hope you've seen that as Christians we have great freedom. When we're mistreated, we don't necessarily have to fight back. We don't necessarily have to make everything into an argument. But we also don't have to be afraid. We don't have to give up our faith when things are hard. We can have hope through our trials. We have freedom, and while we're here on earth, we should, of course, use our freedom for good, and that might mean submitting, that means living good lives. As chapter 2, verse 12 says, as Christians, we're actually, we have the freedom, and we can use our freedom to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray that God would help us to use our freedom to glorify him that others may see our good lives and others may glorify him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have an inheritance that is imperishable. We thank you that this world is not our home, that we can look forward to one day reaching the new heavens and the new earth. As we reflect on that truth, help us to see that our security gives us great freedom. Help us to navigate that tension of living in this world that is not entirely our home. Help us to use our freedom for good. Help us to use our freedom to glorify you. Help others to see our lives and glorify you too. Amen. Uh, Two questions, two questions that I I like a lot. Uh, The first one I like because it helps us to ground uh, really what we've been talking about. It says, uh, uh, does Christian freedom include the freedom to stay silent when you hear the truth of the gospel being distorted or misrepresented? Does it include the freedom to stay silent when you hear the truth of the gospel being distorted or misrepresented? Uh, I think the answer is yes. Yes, we do have that freedom. We are allowed to stay silent. Um, I, I don't know about you, I'm on, I'm on Facebook and uh, I actually thought, thought realised this. I was, I was looking at this question and I thought, yeah, I actually have to ask this question to myself every day. I'm, I'm scrolling down Facebook and I see someone post something uh, anti-Christian or something that I think misrepresents Christianity and I have to make the choice. Do I comment? Do I pick the fight? Uh, do I just move on? And, and yes, I think we have the freedom to uh, just stay silent sometimes. Uh, when Peter calls uh, his readers foreigners, I think that gives us a good picture. Um, if, you're, if you're on holiday in a foreign country, uh, you're not there to try and necessarily point out all the faults in that country um, and make that country into the perfect country. Um, you're there as a foreigner, you're there for a time and you might 
feel it's right to say things at different times and I think there are lots of times actually uh, when it is right to speak up and uh, have your opinion Uh, but I think there are times when you're allowed to stay silent. Uh, Peter points us to the example of Jesus for a reason I think. Uh, We know when Jesus was being crucified and taken to the cross that they hurled insults at him. They said things like you're not the son of God. What did Jesus do? He, He stayed silent. It's okay to do that sometimes. Uh, when's the right time to stay silent? When's not the right time to stay silent? Uh, I, I can't answer that one for you, so um, we'll have to think about that a bit more, but uh, that's that's the tricky part, I think. Uh, the second question I also really like um, says, to what extent should we resist an unjust, unchristian government? The Israelite midwives lied to Pharaoh, the Nazi resistors deceived their rulers. Can I cheat on my taxes because our government promotes anti-Christian behaviour? <laughs> I like the question because it's funny. I also like the question because uh, Jesus answers it for me, so I don't have to. So uh, in Matthew 22, um, in Matthew 22, uh, starting at verse 17, if you've got the time to quickly turn there, you might like to do that, but I'll, I'll read it for us. Um, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Is it right to pay your taxes to the Roman government? Uh, The Roman government were not a Christian government. In fact, they were the government that threw Christians to the lions, uh, did horrible things. Uh, What did Jesus say? Uh, Well, first he says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Uh, And then he says, (laughs) sorry to the person who answered the question. Um, Then he says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. There we go. 